God desires to use in building up his church. And we're trying to figure out how to do that the best way we can. And so one way we're going to be doing that is at our congregational uh, meeting today is kind of letting you know of some things we'll be doing. And some of you, we've been thinking about you and your names and faces have been coming to our, to our attention as elders as we think about who could be on these leadership teams and different things like that that we're going to talk about. So we really encourage you to come, even if it's just because you, even if it's you just love Mexican food, that's fine. Just come. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be great. All right, let me pray real quick. We jump into God's word. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is our all, it is our total authority over all of our thinking. It's complete truth. And we pray, God, that as we look into it this morning, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us, will lead us, and will guide us this morning as, as we look into it, as we allow it to shape and change and mold how we think. God, may my words be your words this morning. Um, I'm humbled to be, uh, to be up here. I pray, God, that you would, your words would be a blessing to myself and to all those who listen. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I know like, like many of you, um, there's some of you in here that especially feel this, but you've been a part of a number of churches before. Others of you, maybe this is the only church you've ever been a part of, um, and you've just kind of just, or just started coming or whatever that looks like. But for me, I know like many of you, uh, I've been a f- part of a few churches in my lifetime. And I know that's like, I look out over the crowd, I know that there's some, many of you that have been a part of a couple different churches um, over your lifetime. And some of these churches, um, we love babies, don't even sweat it, okay? Don't, we, we have a nursery, but if you want to just don't even worry about it. Um, um, but some of these churches that I would go, that I've been a part of, I just attended, others that I worked at. A few of these churches, although some of them were very, very bi- vibrant and very healthy, I got to tell you, there were a few churches that I were a part of, that I was a part of, that were not. Actually, there was one, there's one church that I uh, worked for that was probably one of the most vibrant and healthy churches I've ever seen or experienced. It just blew my mind to be a part of it. Yet earlier on in my earlier days, I was actually a part of a church that no longer exists, primarily because of really unhealthy leadership. It was really, it was, a, it was not a healthy place to be at all. I came out of it very, very hurting as, uh, as many other people did too. So I've seen, I've seen both, the health, very healthy and vibrant and those that are very, very unhealthy. And some of you have experienced that as well, which leads me really to ask this question, what does a truly vibrant and healthy church actually look like? What does that look like? Because we see it all the time, don't we? We read about them. We hear about them. We hear about the mega churches, and we hear about the churches that close their doors. We hear about the scandals. We hear about so many things. We hear about people that have been, well, you know, a big trend these days is a lot of people that are deconstructing their faith because they've been so wounded in the church. So what does a healthy church look like? What does a vibrant and healthy church look like? What are some of the key markers or characteristics of a vibrant and healthy church, would you consider our church a vibrant and healthy church? Why or why not? Because I really believe we don't, we come to church hoping, don't we? We want our church to be a vibrant and healthy church, right? The church that we go to. None of us want to sit around and go, this is so dysfunctional, but I'm just going to stick it out. I don't think anybody's here for that. 
We want to be a part of a church that where our church experience is a healthy one for us and allows us to use our gifts and talents and feeds us. We feed others, all those things. But what does that look like? Well, fortunately today, as we finally, it's, we've taken about a month off, we're jumping back into our study in the book of Acts. And our passage this morning actually describes a church that exhibits or displays some characteristics that really are essential in a vibrant and healthy church. Now, this church that we're going to look at this morning was found in the ancient, ancient city of Antioch, which is in present-day Turkey. And at the time, this is what's interesting about this town, city of Antioch. At the time, it was the third largest city in the entire Roman world. Okay, it was huge. It was bustling. It was a third, like I said, the third largest. It was extremely cosmopolitan. It was, for that day and age, it was very sophisticated, it was cultured, it was influential, it was filled with many religious and ethnic backgrounds, yet it was also a rena- had a renowned reputation for being extremely morally laxed. Does this sound like any city that you know of? <laughs> this description I just made, of course it does. It sounds like where we live, doesn't it? Sounds like San Francisco. Yet as we're going to see this morning, the gospel comes to Antioch just like the gospel has come to the Bay Area. And what we're going to see, we're going to see, see what happened back then. We're going to take a look at what happens when the gospel takes a hold of a church in a city and what happens as it spreads throughout that. So we're going to look at um, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 is where we're starting. So you can read along if you like up on the screen or use your Bibles. We'll have some fill in the blank things for you that are coming up soon here. Okay, verse, verse 19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we see that this all starts with these believers who were really, they were thrust out of their comfort zone in Jerusalem as a result of this incredibly severe persecution that they were facing. Remember, we talked about this. Remember, we saw back in chapter eight, this intense persecution began. Remember when Saul, he stood around and he totally approved of the death of Stephen. Remember, they stoned Stephen to death for his witness for Christ. Remember, we saw that he even began going house to house, remember, and dragging men and women to jail that they, he knew were followers of Jesus. So understandably, these people, this caused the Christians to leave. They fleed from the, for their very lives to the surrounding regions. Now, the, here's the interesting thing. These ordinary believers made their way north. I have a little map here that shows kind of where they made their way north. We're Americans, so we don't really know where anything else is in the world. But this is giving you an idea of the Mediterranean area. There's Jerusalem down, down there. Um, and what happens is that they, they fled and they went, made their way up into, like Phoenicia, it's not on there, but that's right, would be near like where Damascus is in that, in that area. And many of them went west to the island out there of Cyprus. Many of them went there. And then they said they went, many of them went all the way into Syrian Antioch, 
where they went and where they, and where they went. And as they went, it says that they shared the gospel with all these different people. So they went all the way up there to Antioch. That's where they were spreading out. That's where they were running away. But they weren't ab- abandoning their faith. They were going along saying, okay, we're going to plant ourselves here and we're going to share, we're going to share about Jesus. We're going we're to talk about Jesus here. So what we're seeing here is the early church, these, the scattered church, we see that evangelism was a part of the very DNA of who they were. It wasn't just a side thing. It wasn't just, okay, so how, let's have a seminar on how to reach the gospel, reach people for the gospel, which is extremely important. But they were already in seminar mode. They were, they were ready to go. I love your latest thing. I saw that. I was like thinking this very thing about how do we help people understand to make it just a part of who they are, to share the gospel in a way that is relevant. And that's where these people were. They were ready to go. And we see that some of them confined, they only confined their sharing only to the Jews. They were only going to share to the Jews, while others dared to share with non-Jews. Remember, up to this point, the Jews and Gentiles, I mean, the, Jew, the Gentiles have only recently begun to be evangelized. So they're starting to continue that tradition on and continue to do that. And in these verses, what we see as a result of their witnessing is there was a great number of people in Antioch who believed and turned to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? A great number. It wasn't like, oh, a few people came. A great number of people came. Yet here's the thing. I think a lot of times we always think, okay, we want to reach our town. And I believe we have to be strategic. We totally have to be strategic. But sometimes we think, until I've got every I, I dotted, every T crossed, until I can be super slick, until I can make it all perfect, then I'll share my faith. But that's not what we see here. What we're seeing here, it wasn't because of slick or golden-tongued presentation. But remember, look at verse 21. It tells us that it was because the hand of the Lord was with them. What this is saying is that people turned to the Lord because of His work in their lives. When they heard the gospel, God was working. He was doing his thing already. This shows us that the pressure is really off when it comes to witnessing for Christ. And we've been talking about this. Really, our role is to simply be faithful to share the love of Christ through our actions and through our words as the Holy Spirit leads us. Yes, we need to be trained if necessary. Yes, we need to learn how to do that. But we got to just be ready to know that, you know what, God, you're leading me to talk to this person I'm going to trust that you're already at work. I'm going to trust that what happens is going to be because of you, not because of everything that I do perfectly. We, like I said, we've talked about that, that it's not our polished presentations or how professional or how slick our church looks, as important as having all things together is. But it's first and foremost about the hand of God working through you and through me and in the lives of the people that we're trying to share our faith with or live out our faith with. So we see here one of the characteristics. Here's the first characteristic. The first characteristic of a vibrant and healthy church is its people faithfully and boldly living out and sharing the gospel with those in their circle of influence. This is the first thing that we're seeing here. Whether you know it or not, Whether you believe it or not, God has strategically placed people in yours and my life that he desires to use you to reach them with the gospel. Did you know that? 
God has strategically placed people in your life, people at your job, people in your neighborhood, at the coffee shop that you frequent, at the gym, the social club, whatever it is you're a part of. We need to realize that these are people that God has strategically put into our lives. It's no accident that they are there. Our role, though, is to be simply attentive to the Spirit's leading as we look for opportunities to live out and to share the gospel with them. And for the church in Antioch, it's amazing. The result of having this mindset, the very first church that got going there, the result of sharing the gospel with the people in their circle of influence was they, say, they saw a great number of people come to know the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone that you, we live our faith out in front of or everybody that we share the gospel will turn to the Lord. We know that. Many of you have spent days, months, years sharing with people, living your life out in front of people that are just going like this, right? We know that is going to happen. Yet here's the thing I need, we talked about this before too. Here's the thing we need to remember. Most often, and it's almost, almost most often, what's happening is we may just be one of the many players in the story of God drawing people to himself. We got to understand that. We got to understand, because so often we think that, okay, I'm in this person's life. They're my circle of influence. I'm going to be the one that prays the prayer with them. Not necessarily. I'm not necessarily the person that's going to help, to help that person. I'm not going to be the one that's going to be there when that person decides. So often no one's there when that person decides. But God wants to use all of us to be a part of that person's story. And we may never, ever see the result. I've, I can think back to a friend that I had in high school that I nervously, my senior year, scared the, shared the gospel with him and loved him and just wanted and started, began to pray for him. No, I, I don't know. I had, I had no idea what happened. Nothing happened. Well, he was like, yeah, Whatever. And I kept on doing it for a while. Then I remember years and years later, I mean, this guy was a brawler. This guy was a womanizer, even as a teenager. I remember years later, I found out this guy had ended up going through recovery, alcohol and all that stuff, and now was like full on Jesus freak, loving Lord, loving the Lord. He was just full on, just, it was just, I just couldn't believe it. When I say Jesus for you, I don't mean a weird guy. He wasn't one of those weirdo Christians. He was just so on fire for Jesus. And, I'm th and I thought to myself, okay, thank you, God. Uh, what an honor. Maybe I was a, a little piece of that journey. That's awesome. And that's what God wants to do with all. So don't be discouraged. Know that God wants to use you in other people's lives, no matter how small it may be. All right, another characteristic we see of a vibrant and healthy church in these verses is that we see that it's people fully embrace those from a variety of backgrounds, okay? They embrace those from a variety of backgrounds. Now, interesting enough, this church, there was both Jews and Greeks that were turning to the Lord here, meaning that the church, this first church in Antioch was diverse from the very get-go, from the very start, people that previously wouldn't want to have anything to do with one another, nothing, where all of a sudden now they were like family. 
Isn't that amazing? I think a lot of times we think, oh yeah, we're di- I'm diverse. I, I, I embrace diversity. I like that. I love that. I, you know, I, I, you know, I live in a very cosmopolitan area, the Bay Area, all the diversity. I embrace that. But we got to think about in our minds, do we truly embrace those that are different from us? Do we really love them, care for them, see them as God's child like we do the people that are more kind of just like us? Interesting that Martin Luther King Jr. said this, once pointed out, he said that Sunday was the most segregated or most homogeneous day of the week. Reality is that most people naturally gravitate towards people they feel most comfortable being around, right? We just naturally do that, whether it's ethnically, whether it's their life stage, common interests, religious or political backgrounds or preferences, personality types, socioeconomic um, status. And this often includes the church. It often includes the churches they attend. Yet a vibrant and healthy church will be filled with people from a wide variety of backgrounds who deeply care for one another and are willing to share their lives for one another. This includes Giants and Dodger fans, okay? I know, I know, crazy, radical, but yes, it does. We need to have our share of balance in that area. Republican, Democrat, all that stuff. There's an embracing of people because of their commonality in Jesus. I know I just brought up politics and people are already... (laughs) One of the most divisive things in our country right now. But us as children of God, we should be the people that are most able to help people that especially that are in Christ together, in the the body of Christ, to come together and love one another. So when people see us and they go, you and you, 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 what? You, you, I know their views, and I know your views, their views, yet I see that you care for each other so deeply. You're involved in one another's lives, and you'd get, you'll do whatever it takes. Wow. Uh, I want to know more why. And that's what was happening in this church. That's why it was just absolutely exploding. Ideally, really, what a church is going to look like is what it'll look like in heaven. Ideally, look at what John records concerning a vision that he has in the book of Revelations. He says this, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on, to, on the throne and to the lamb. Heaven's going to be an amazing cornucopia group of diversity that's working in perfect harmony. It's going to be amazing. So why not? Why not strive for that here. Not just say, okay, we're going to have our, make sure we have our token uh, black, white, Asian, you know, Hispanic. You know. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what's going on in our hearts, what's happening in here. How inclusive are we inside, in here? All right, let's move on to the next other characteristic of a vibrant and healthy church. Look at verse 22. It says, the report of this of all that was happening, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. So we see that the word gets back to the church in Jerusalem. And just like, remember, like, just like what happened when we looked at with Philip, when he was working within this church in Samaria, all these Gentiles were coming to the Lord. The church in Jerusalem goes, okay, we want to check this out. We just want to make sure, you want to make sure that these reports that we're getting are valid. So they send Barnabas. Now, I, I, after studying this, I really want to study more about Barnabas. This guy sounds like an amazing guy. Uh, and I love kind of where his gift set is. It kind of, I think I feel like it fits like I, I, we would be buddies. I think me and, me and uh, we would have a bromance going, I think, me and Barnabas to some, to some degree. I, I, that's what I, just my guess. Um, so they sent him and it says that he was, a, he was a good man. And here's the thing about Barnabas. He was known for being a promoter of spiritual maturity. That's kind of where his gift set was, was helping people to mature in their faith. His name literally means son of consolation or son of encouragement. I mean, what a perfect emissary to send to a new and fledgling church, huh? He's going to encourage them like crazy. And we see that upon his arrival, he, what happens is he sees un, that undoubtedly this evidence of God's unmerited grace is being poured out on these believers. He's, he must have walked in and gone, I can't believe what I'm seeing. But Barnabas was a doer. And he got in there and he started doing what he did best. He started encouraging these new believers. He encouraged them to remain steadfast and wholehearted in their devotion to the Lord. Really, here's what, here's what he's doing. Number three on your notes there. What Barnabas is doing is he is encouraging them in another characteristic found in the vibrant and healthy church that its people remain teachable and hungry for God's truth. This is what Barnabas is encouraging them to do. Remain teachable and hungry for God's truth. See, see Barnabas knows that this is just the beginning in order for these people to stay spiritually strong, in order for, their, for them to be able to grow and to stay faithful through the course of life, he knows that they are going to need to have someone come alongside them. He knows that they're going to need to stay hungry for God's truth. And here's one thing I, I think I see, and I'm sure many of you might agree with this. I think I see this as really one of the main obstacles for many, many Christians in their spiritual growth. And it's this lack of teachability and a hunger for God's truth. I think it's, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to get to a place where we've got so much head knowledge. I, better, I, go, to, I go to church all the time. I've been in church for decades. So I, I'm okay. Things are going all right. But remember Jesus himself, remember what he said in Matthew 5? He said, blessed are those who think that I'm okay or want a little bit of me. <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will the ones that will be satisfied. Why is my Christian life boring? Why is it not working? Why does God ask me? What? All this stuff. A lot of times you know where the answer is to that question of how to fix that is to pray and ask God to make you hungry and thirsty for him. So what does it look like to remain teachable 
and hungry and thirsty for God's truth? Well, really, it starts with being humble. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8 says this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What that means is it means being continually aware of and and being mournful over our sinful condition and coming before God in repentance and walking in meekness before him with this hunger and this thirst for him and for spiritual things and saying, God, I want more of you. I see how wretched I am. I see how I'm prone to wander, as as the hymn says. I'm so prone to wander. I need you desperately. I want, I want you so bad. It's coming to that with that kind of posture. It means continually seeking out wisdom and instruction about God's truth as really as if our life depended on it. When was the last time that you or me or myself, we sought out God as if our very life depended on it? Because it does. That the enemy will do everything he can to convince us that it's not that important. The writer of the Proverbs says this about this. In Proverbs 4, he says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And then whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. You you, you hear the intensity in the writer? Do you hear that? Get it. Seek it. Continue to want it. Be hungry for it. This is what will satisfy you. This should be strong motivation for us making time to, intentional time to be with God and to be with other Christians, a priority in our life. Not in a guilty way, like we talked about this before. Not like, oh, I didn't have a quiet time this morning. My day is ruined. You know, God doesn't love me anymore. No, not that at all. But just have that constant desire and seeking I think about like when I, my relationship with my wife. I love my wife. I want to be with my wife all the time. <laughs> well, most of the time. Um, I mean, I was thinking about, example, the men's retreat last weekend. I, I was so looking forward to the men's retreat, but you know what I was not looking forward to? It was being away from my wife. Aww. Awesome. Points. Um, um, okay. Um, but there's that, there's that hunger that I have to be with my wife, the desire to have my wife. Now, do I always do things right when I'm with my wife? Do I neglect my wife? Sure, there's things that I do, but my wife doesn't stop loving me, and I don't stop pursuing her. I'm going to make big mistakes as a husband, but I'm going to remain her husband. I'm going to remain in that relationship. I'm going to keep hungry. I'm going to keep thirsty. I'm trying to be teachable to be the kind of husband I need to be. It's the same with our relationship with God. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to neglect him. We're going to turn away from him. But that doesn't mean we don't continue to hunger and thirst for him and to be remain teachable and willing to let him tell us things and other people tell us things that we need to hear that we might not like to hear. 
Now, Barnabas knows that in order for these new converts to remain teachable and hungry, like I said earlier, they can't, he knows that they can't be left alone. So what, he, what does he do? He goes and, and he sees that, well, wait, there's a lot of them here. I can't, take, I, can't, I can't shepherd this crowd. So what does he do? Goes and gets Saul. Saul's become a Christian now. He goes and gets him. He says, I'm going to go find, get some help. And look what it says. It says, for a whole year, a whole year, they taught and discipled these new believers. Now, and look at the second half. Now, look at the second half of verse 26 tells us the powerful result of these new believers being teachable, being hungry, and being taught and discipled by Barnabas and Saul. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You know what was going on in Antioch? What was going on in Antioch is the result of these guys being teachable and hungry for God. People were noticing them, and when they would look at them, they would identify them with Jesus because they were talking about Jesus all the time. It became a part of who they were. Like I said, they weren't like the freaky kind of like, you know, God bless you, Lord bless you, you know, weird. But they were, Jesus was an integral part. And what it meant to speak the truth of the gospel to one another was how they related to one another. It's what they did. So they became called, they were called Christians, it says there. Now this word Christian literally means, the word Christian literally means Christ person or Christ one. They were literally talking about Jesus so much. They go, oh, you're one of those Christ ones. You're one of those Christ people because you're talking about the Messiah all the time. That, that you must be one of those. This is the fourth characteristic. The other characteristic of a vibrant and healthy church is that it's full of people who remind others of Jesus. It's full of people that remind people of Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to be, be accused by someone of reminding them of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? It's like one of the best, I always tell people, one of the best things we can, one of the most, comp, biggest compliment we can ever get is when someone says, hey, my son did this the other night. I just found out he did this. To, he's found out his boss in the tech world. He found out his boss, who they're not as inclusive as some other companies that we know with their Christian. It's kind of, they're kind of huddling still and f- trying to figure us all out. They'll be in touch soon, I told him. Um, <laughs> um, but he, he just asked his boss, there's something about him. And he said, are, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, I am. And by the way, there's a group of us that get together regularly for a Bible study. And then my son goes, have you heard of Faith Force? So, so, it's moving. So they're trying to get together. They just want to talk about Jesus. And it's so, because they're reminding each other of, oh, that's, that's so important. We got to be with, with other believers. They were teachable and they were hungry. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that, that as someone says, you remind me of Jesus. I always used to tell my youth group kids, I always tell them, probably the ultimate um, whatever, opposite of that, would be if someone say, you're a Christian? You? Really? I would have never, I would never would have thought. But these people were the exact opposite. Oh, you, you, you must be one of those Christ people. You're one of those Christ ones. I can just tell. It's all, it's all over you. See, the, really, what happens here is as we allow the truth, this truth of, who, of speaking the truth of the gospel of another's lives, as we just do this regularly and we desire to please our heavenly father, that's what happens when we, when we want to be a Christ person, what we're going to be is someone who wants to please our father. 
We're going to want to do what pleases him because this is what Jesus, this was Jesus' main goal when he was here on earth. He himself said this. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, this is in John 8, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he sent me, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That was Jesus' number one aim, was to please the Father. So how do we, how do we be the, the breath of Christ? How do we be someone that reminds other people of Jesus? We strive to live a life through the power of the Holy Spirit to please our Father. And this goes, this is a side note, another rabbit trail. This is something that goes into everything we do, how we think, what we watch, how we spend our money. All, it impacts all of it. These are great questions to ask ourselves. God, I want to please you in every area of my life. How I talk about other people. Where I let my mind go. I want to please you, Father. In turn, that's going to make us someone more like Jesus. But that's all stuff that we can only do through the power of God working in us. You can't muster that up. Okay? So, okay, let's go. Let's see the last section here. Let's finish this up. One more characteristic of a vibrant and healthy church. Look at verse 27. It says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Cyrus Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So we see here this prophet comes down, uh, comes to Antioch from Jerusalem, and he predicts that there's this famine that's going to happen throughout the Roman world. So this church decides to spring into action. Okay, we're going to take an offering, and we're going to send it to Jerusalem because it's going to hit them the hardest, it sounds like. We want to help them. We really want to help them. And we're told that everybody could give according to what they could. They wouldn't just say, okay, uh, yeah, I didn't go to Starbucks last week. I got, I got 10 bucks more here. No, they didn't do that at all. They said, what can I give? What can I give and still make it? <laughs> or what can I give and it just, just seems crazy? They give what they, what, they, what they felt they could give and still, and just really bless those people. So really what we're seeing is the fifth and last characteristic we can see of a vibrant and healthy church is that its people are generous givers. They're generous givers. Now, this is an amazing demonstration of actively showing love for others due to being identified to the body of Christ. This, this predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish church is moved to help predominantly Jewish brothers and sisters. The barriers are gone. They're totally gone. Remember, we had talked about traditionally, Jews and Gentiles wanted nothing to do with one another. Nothing. They couldn't stand one another. Yet now we saw now we, get, we, see, we saw now that as fellow Christ persons, as fellow Christ ones, they saw themselves as one. There is no more barrier. We're family. The only logical response was to this famine is we got to give. And we got to give big. We got to give generously. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here when we talked about uh, biblical principles for financial giving, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. 
principles we talked about. What does it look like to truly give in a biblical way? So those are the characteristics. These are the characteristics of a vibrant and healthy church. It's filled with people who are living out and sharing the gospel with those in their circle of influence, who fully embrace those from a variety of backgrounds. It's people who remain teachable and hungry for God's truth, and they remind others of Jesus and their generous givers. So here's the question. How do we become? Or how do we as a church be make our, how do we as a church become the kind of church that tangibly exhibits these characteristics? And these aren't all of them. These aren't all. But the five characteristics we looked at today, how do we tangibly exhibit these characteristics as a church? Well, the good news is that it's not about our human effort to fulfill or accomplish these characteristics. Yes, we need to strive to be all that we can be. We need to strive to be diligent, to be the people that God desires us to be. But the truth is that as we have seen already in this passage, these characteristics are only fulfilled or accomplished as we learn to more fully recognize and embrace the free, unmerited gift of God's grace of God's grace that he continues to just pour out on us constantly. I read an interesting quote from someone this week that I thought really was a cool description of grace. It says this, when we, his sinful and rebellious prodigal children, spit in his face, wallow in our sin, and grieve his spirit, he calls us to repentance with open and loving arms saying, come home, child. He's not ignorant of all the ways we've sinned against him. He knows everything we've ever done and is able to stomach it. He acknowledge, his knowledge of who we really are will never hinder his love for us. He's even aware of the evil behind our righteous deeds, the intimacy by which the Lord knows us, but is able to lovingly embrace us as his children is supernatural. God's grace is mind-blowing. That is good news, my friends. That is good news. Lastly, on your last little fill-in thing, the truth is that a vibrant and healthy church is one that ultimately displays God's grace in tangible ways. It displays God's grace in tangible ways. And that happens as we, as individuals, consistently remind ourselves of God's incredible grace as he continues to pour it out on us. Are you aware? Do you live in? Do you think about God's grace in your life? That undeserved, unmerited grace that says, come home, child. Come home, child. That is great news and great motivation. I want to encourage you as I end here this morning. I just want to encourage you this morning that as you seek to know God, which I know so many of in this, you in this room, you want that hunger. You have that hunger. Or you want that hunger even. And that thirst for God's word. I want to encourage you as you seek to know, know God that you allow yourself to regularly be blown away by God's grace. I mean, just regularly get to a place where you're thinking about it and you just go, oh, whew, I can't believe it. His favor towards me is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. 
And, 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 that would, and that would encourage you and allow you then to be challenged to grow in tangible ways of exhibiting that grace. Don't just take it in and go, ooh, that's so good for me. Then ask God, how then do I exhibit that? How do I show that grace? How do, what are some characteristics, some tangible ways I can show that? That is when we will be a healthy, vibrant, moving, doing some great things, Church, not because we're so awesome, because God's grace is so awesome. All right, I'll ask you a couple questions here. I know I've gone a little bit long, but a couple questions here I want to throw out to you guys. Um, I'd like, what I'd like for you to do is turn to your neighbor, and if you're new here, I just want you to hear from them because you won't know what, the, what, what we do or what we don't do. But which of the characteristics of a vibrant and healthy church that we looked at today, just one second today, do you see present in our church? So if you've got a new person near you, go ahead and tell them what you think you've seen, if you've seen one of these characters and how you've seen it play out, or if you've both been to, if the groups that you're, two or three of you just get together, to share real briefly how you've seen that present in our church. Go. Especially if you see a new person, make sure you turn to them and let them know. Okay, let's hear a couple. Let's just hear just a couple. I'd like to hear. Um, I need encouragement today. So, Ladia, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'd like to hear a couple. What are some of the characteristics of a vibrant and healthy church that we looked at today that you have seen present in our church and how? Let me hear a couple. I heard you talking, so. Yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What else? What else have you seen specifically, maybe? Yeah. I see in our Bible study how we embrace people of different backgrounds. Yeah. And they are teachable and hungry. Yeah. God's word. Yeah. We really connect on the emotional level. As guys, emotional? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Good. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thanks, George. Any other one? Yeah. I see a lot of people willing to serve. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Willing to serve, a lot of people willing to serve, yeah. And willing to lead as well, it's true, it's true. Becky and Kara remind me of Jesus. Wow, that's awesome. Lost your, that's right, that's so cool. Yeah, I saw a hand back here, Joe, yeah.
Yeah, okay, there we go, okay. Yeah, so you're teachable. Okay, good. Right on, yeah. That's just a side note that at, at, the, at the men's retreat for the third year in a row, our little church that joined this church of thousands won the horseshoe competition the third year in a row. So that's, yeah, we like to rub it in their face. <laughs> it's a spiritual gift. Yeah. It's a spiritual. All right, real quick, next, next one real quick. What might be some other, this is real quick, and you might, not, you might not be able to think of them, but what might be some other tangible ways that a person can express their understanding of God's grace in their life? I mean, you might have been thinking some as I was talking, as we were talking. What are some other ways that you just might naturally just go, wow, God's grace is so amazing. I've wanted to display it like this, or I've seen someone display it like that. Can you think of something else besides what we looked at? A lot of forgiveness, yeah, yeah. When you know God's grace, that's probably one of the top things, isn't it? When you go, I'm forgiven on such a regular basis. If you're having a hard time with forgiveness, and a lot of us do because of things that have been done to us or happened to us, this is where you start. That's where you start. You don't start with, oh, I just got to forgive him, put, it back. Put, put the past behind me. No, we start by going, I have, I've been given the perfect example of ridiculous forgiveness. I'm going to ask for that. <laughs> Good. Any, 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 anything else? Any other ones? That, yeah. When you recognize God's grace in your life, you realize how much you love you. It's incumbent upon you to love others. Yeah. So that love then pursues yeah. what you're Yeah. Having a hard, yeah, there's another one. Thanks, Todd. Having a hard time loving someone, just, ugh. Place to start isn't, I'm going to pull myself up by my whatever, and I'm just going to love them, dang it. No, it's, wow, that incredible love that I am loved with. I'm going to, I'm going to invite him to give me, God to give me that love for that person, not mine. Mine will fall so short. All right, last one I just want you to be thinking about as we move into communion. Which of the characteristics of a vibrant, healthy church that we looked at today do you feel that you could grow in? I just want you to think about that. Yes. Think about, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. So, all right, the band's going to come on up, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to, this is an opportunity, once again, if you're new here, we just take, we take communion as, as, uh, as the band is going to be playing after I pray. You come on up, and you just um, go ahead and get the elements. You can take it at the, uh, up here. You can take it back to your seat. Go to the side and pray with someone. I believe Paul and Carrie will be over here to pray. If anybody would like to be prayed for, I encourage you to take advantage of that time. But let's just spend some time with Jesus and remember that on the night that he was betrayed, that Jesus took the cup, or he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the, this is the blood, represents the blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you. Father God, we're so grateful for that incredible gift of love and of grace. God, we want that. God, I want that. I want to I wanna be hungry and teachable for your truth. I pray that for all of us and that, God, that we would in turn become, be a church that is so healthy and so vibrant that people want to be here because they want to be around that. They want to be around people that remind them of Jesus. And it's his name we pray.